Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. I will be reading the scripture this morning. There are two passages. The first one is from Revelations 21 verses 1 to 6. Then I, and then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven, he- <laughs> coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Look." God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the, wa- the water of life. Second passage is from Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. In, uh, in the year 490 BC, when the uh, Persian army was wanting to take Greece, they... Um, they were going to take the city of Athens, and the Athenian people went out to do battle with them to protect the city and to protect the country. And uh, legend has it that they met in this battle, it's not a legend, it's true, historically, on the plains of Marathon. And uh, it was a small Athenian army that was going up this gig- against this gigantic Persian onslaught. And the people in Athens were sort of waiting about 26 miles away from where Marathon, the battle, was happening, sort of wringing their hands, hoping somehow for a miracle. And the Athenians miraculously did hold off the Persian army and defeated them and sent them back. But of course, they were 26 miles away from the city, and so there was no email or texting to say, hey, we won. And so they sent a runner who legend had, this is where the legend part is, ran 26 miles, which is where we get the distance now, apparently, for the the marathon, 26 miles, and shouted to the city his last breath, victorious, and he dropped dead. Now, whether or not that part of the story is true, the Greeks had this mode of delivering messages. The the message that a messenger like that would take to a people sort of waiting to hear good news was called euangelion, which actually, that's the Greek word, which we translate gospel. The word actually means, the word gospel means a message of good news delivered by a passionate and determined messenger to a people desperately hoping for and depending on it. That's where the term good news comes from. That's where the word gospel comes from. It's actually not a a religious word. It's just a word of a message of hope and victory to people who are desperately waiting for it. And we are certainly, right, people who are desperate for a message of good news. Hopefully that's why you came to church this morning. And maybe this is your first time ever, your first time in a long time. Or maybe you come here regularly, but in your heart today, there's this sense that, oh God, I need good news. What I would hope is that the church is a place of good news. And we've been talking about actually, well, what does it mean to be people of good news? And and not just good news, it's not going to rain today. 
Good news for your life. Good news that your greatest fears are being dispelled. Good news that your deepest longings will be fulfilled. The good news that we want to hear and so are desperate to hear is that all of the brokenness that we see in the world around us, and if we're honest, the brokenness that we experience in our own lives, in our own hearts, the things maybe that nobody else knows about us, we are desperate to know that somehow that will be dealt with, that somehow that will be healed, that somehow there's hope to this hopeless, heavy heart. That is what we long for. That is what we come to church for to say, is there good news? Is this where God could really speak to me and meet me? And we've said in this series, doing the series on good news, we're saying, well, actually, the good news in one word is Jesus. Jesus, in a sense, is both the messenger of good news and he is the message itself. The scriptures say that Jesus was actually sent by God into the world and maybe you've never thought about it this way, but Jesus was actually sent into the world with the message of good news as the good news himself. And that's why if we had to say, well, what is the good news in one word? It's not salvation. It's not heaven. It's Jesus. And we've been taking these six weeks, uh, any of you are just here today catching up, we've been taking these six weeks to actually say, what is the good news? And we've been tracking with the church uh, in our Alliance family in Bolton. And so thanks guys for watching me on video, I tried to shave every week uh, and do my hair uh, for you. But this has been an experience for us and actually just talking with them and, and talking with some of you, I know that it's making a difference in your lives. And that was our prayer that somehow, whether we've grown up in the church our whole lives or we never know anything about it, that we would say, wow, this is actually amazing news. And I wanted to just take a few minutes just to go back where we've been these last five weeks. And if you've never heard this before, I just want you to think about these words as, as I read them. We began with the fact that Jesus is God with us. And we said, if, if Jesus is God with us, that means that God is for us, which is really good news because a lot of us grow up thinking or just feeling like God is against us. And that Jesus came as the good news to say, God is not against you. He is for you. He is with you. But that also in Jesus, we find acceptance. In other words, we find unconditional love. That really so many of the other relationships that we have in life are marked by conditional love. If you do this, then this will be okay. If you perform, then you'll get to keep your job. If you're acting the way you are, then maybe you can turn the head of the person whose attention you're trying to get. But that in Christ, we receive adoption as children into the household of God where God is our Father and where we experience the unconditional love and grace of God. That Jesus is acceptance. But that Jesus is also forgiveness. That one of the things that Jesus has come to do is to actually take away the brokenness and the bent that each one of us has to just sort of wander, to get ourselves into trouble and to do things that much later on in life we regret. That even though we can't change the past, Jesus can heal it and forgive us. And that he actually gives us a message of forgiveness and grace to bring to a world that doesn't know how to forgive, that doesn't know how to receive forgiveness. And that's why Jesus is good news. But Jesus is also purpose, that the thing that you and I need to know most in life is, why am I here? What on earth am I here for? 
Is there more to life than just day in, day out, trying to make enough money to keep the things that I shouldn't have said yes to, but I have, and now I try to afford them, and so I can't stop working, and so that's what life is, and maybe a little bit of a weekend warrior fun in between just to take the edge off a bit. Is there more to life than this? We say, yeah, in Jesus, we don't just have forgiveness. We don't just have acceptance. We have a purpose that we are actually meant to bring a new world into this world, a kingdom within a kingdom, a city within a city. That's the purpose we have in Jesus. And then last week, we talked about how Jesus is actually, the, because of all this, the end of religion. That religion is obsolete. It's no longer needed. It's not about the holy place or the holy words or the holy book or what you do and how you do it and making sure that you need to do everything that is possible in you so that God will accept you. But in fact, it is about what Jesus has done for you. It's not about what you do. And that's good news too. But if that was it, we'd be missing something. It's not enough, actually, even though it's incredible news. And I just say this, it's not enough good news. You know why? Because I don't know about you, but when I look around at the world, it doesn't seem like the good news is outweighing the bad news. It doesn't seem like evil is disappearing and good is growing. It's a bit hard to tell, actually, depending on which page you turn or which link you click on whether good news is really spreading. In fact, there's a lot of things that we read about today that we'd say, wow, it feels like the world is more chaotic than ever. And whether or not that's true, whether or not it's more chaotic now than it was 100 years ago or 300 years ago or 500 years ago, we know there's enough chaos now that we say, is there, I don't see a lot of good news. If Jesus is good news to a world, where is it all? Or is this just some of our sort of private experience of forgiveness and acceptance? Is God doing something in the world around us? See, a couple hundred years ago in the Enlightenment movement, we believed that we could make the world a better place. We believed that with education, human potential, and advancement, there was no ceiling, there was no upside that we could not reach, that the sky was the limit. And then World War I and World War II slapped all of the optimism out of the face of the Enlightenment. And, and as high as we believed our potential was, now we are feeling as low as we have possibly felt as a culture. There are epidemic levels of anxiety, depression, and even suicide. We're saying, where is the hope? <laughs> See, if, if the good news was just what we have talked about, we would be missing this essential final piece of the gospel of Jesus Christ, without which we have no response to not just the world out there, but like I said, the, the stuff in us that we say, I don't know if the good is outweighing the bad. I don't know if good news is spreading yet. What about now? And so to do that, we're going to read from the book of Revelation, which is an appropriate place to read for a question like that because it's the last book in the Scriptures. If, if you think about it, actually, the, the Old Testament and most of the New Testament takes us right up to about 80 or 90, maybe 100 years after Jesus. 
And then Revelation jumps past us right to the end. It's, it's uh, the kind of literature it is, it's called apocalyptic literature. Or the apocalypse, right? It's this idea of the end. What is the end going to be like? And the book of Revelation was written to a church, a fledgling church, struggling in a culture that was trying to stomp it out, that was literally killing them, tearing them apart, literally for their belief in Jesus. They were people who even more so than us maybe would have the temptation to struggle with a sense of hope. What's going to happen here? And so the Apostle John writes this letter, and it's, it's a vision. It's really trippy. You know, when you read it, sometimes people try to interpret Revelation so much. I'm like, guys, it was a dream that he saw and tried to write it down. That doesn't mean we can't learn from it, but it's not this specific, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, this is going to be exactly timing. It is a picture, a God-given vision of what the end is going to look like. And so I want to jump right to the very end of that book. Because basically all the chapters leading up to it saying God's going to deal with all the brokenness in the world. And when he does, what is it going to look like in the end? And this is the last part of John's vision in the second last chapter, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. We sometimes think that the world is now earth now, heaven later. It's not actually what it says. Everything new. New heaven, new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there was no longer any sea. We'll get to that in a second, because some of you love the water. You're like, that doesn't sound good. No, trust me. There's water there, okay? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So not us going up to heaven. Heaven coming down to us. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. To which John was saying, I've been writing for 21 chapters. I got it. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. The final piece of the good news, friends, is that Jesus is hope. Because he is making all things new. He's making everything new. And in this passage, in these short few verses, you know, we're kind of like, well, what is the resolution of all things going to be? What will the end actually look like? First of all, it says there's no more sea. The sea in, in, in the ancient world was a place of darkness and death. Many people who would go out as fishermen in boats, as people would send them away or for travels, they would kind of send them off thinking, well, you're probably never going to return. The sea was this place of swirling evil and death that in a sense claimed people's lives. And so when John sees this picture, there's no more sea, he's saying there's no more, and he listed, there's no more death, 
There's no more pain. There's no more mourning. No more tears. No more tears. This is what we would hope. If we were saying, well, what is the end? What is the final resolution going to be? There's this picture, you know, that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That this place, that, that earth now has some good days, but it's got a lot of difficult days. Every one of us in this room has shed tears. You know, when we're little, we skin our knee, we shed tears. When we're older, I mean, some of us stopped crying when we were nine, but there's something in us that still grieves, that still mourns. The healthy ones of us know how to cry. <laughs> there's tears. This life is marked by pain and sorrow. And John says, in the end, there will be no more tears. Isn't that what we would hope? Isn't that the resolution we would long for? But then he says this, that it's, it's not just a garden, but a city. So some of you, how many of you are like country people? Like if, if you had your way, you'd live in the country. You live out in a wide open space. Come on, don't be shy. No one is going to scorn you. Others of you, you love the city. When you go into the city, you feel alive. How many of you are like that? It's like there's something in you that starts to buzz, right? Heaven is a country and a city. This is perfect, right? There's a garden, right, which is where we started, the Garden of Eden, but the garden has now grown to become a city with a garden in the middle of it. It's this river sort of running down the middle of it, the river of life running through the middle of a city. And, and for me, what that does is create this picture of that in the end, there will be this place where there's community, right? Cities are places of community. But, but they're cities where people all are crammed and live together but don't know each other and don't feel safe. But that's not actually the new Jerusalem. It says the gates, later on in the passage, it says the gates are never shut. The city gates were meant to protect you from people who would harm the city. When it says that this city has gates that never need to be shut, it means there's no fear. It's a place of community without any fear. It actually says that this is like the New Jerusalem is actually, don't think buildings, think, think people. And we know, right, that, that what makes the world go round, the, the deepest, most important things to you in life are relationships. The scriptures say heaven is not this place of a private spiritual nirvana. It is a community. And so I always say that people who sort of, who sort of adopted some of that sort of neo-Eastern sort of view of like, well, you know, meditation, private spirituality, and I really buy that. And I, say, I, find, I find that strange because you seem like a person who really likes relationships. You're like, what? Why would you believe in a worldview that's, that's heading you to like supreme consciousness where everything that you see now is an illusion and it's a private state of spiritual experience? That doesn't sound great at all. It sounds like hell. Literally. To be all alone for the rest of your life. To say that everything that means the most to us in this world is actually an illusion, something in me says that cannot be true. Revelation says, no, in the end, there is a city, a place teeming with community, but also culture and creativity. That it is a place where we will actually be together, but also have a purpose in life. We'll not just be sitting with white robes and playing harps, you know, like that some, but that our deepest longing for purpose Right, are actually made complete in this place because in a city and a garden, in the city and the country, there's tons to do. There's places for people to use their passions and gifts and experience life to the full. If heaven isn't like that, it's not heaven. New heaven, new earth. A new world. 
a city and a garden. And then later on, it says that the, the city will need, need no sun because Jesus will be the sun. And I often wonder, like, how is Jesus going to be present in this place where we'd all get to see him? Well, it's interesting, right? Because no matter where you are in the world, you can see the sun. Sometimes for shorter hours than others. No matter where you are in the world, you feel the effects of the sun. Without it, you would die. No matter where you are in the world, the sun gives life to the world. It's this picture of Jesus actually being in the center of everything, giving life to us. If you think about it, this is the completion of all the other pieces of the good news. That when there is no more tears, no more pain, no more, no more sorrow, all of our hearts have been healed. There will never be any more need for forgiveness because there's no more broken relationships. Everything is healed. There's peace, there's harmony, there's unity. That we will actually experience the acceptance and the love of God in a permanent way. Not that we feel the love of God and then suddenly it escapes us again or we live in the cold, hard world of, of conditional love and somehow we don't always feel the experience of the love of God. In the new heavens and the new earth, as Jesus is the center, we will be able to see the love of God from every place we sit. It's that permanent state of acceptance. And also that permanent experience of purpose that all the things we had longed to do in life that maybe, I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel like I'm chasing something that is in my heart longing to do, but I can't quite get there fully. You ever feel like that? That the new heavens and the new earth is this deep place of purpose where each of us finds what our hearts have been longing to do and we get to do it for the rest of our lives with joy. Is a place of hope. You might say, well, that sounds amazing, but how do we know that's true? How do we know it's true? Hebrews 11.1, and and this is the the older translation in the NIV 84, it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. See, we use the word hope as sort of this general expression of, well, I, I hope things will work out okay, but I'm not really, I can't really be sure, right? We don't actually put certainty next to hope. Hope sometimes for us feels like the opposite of certainty. I have no idea, but I really hope. I hope the diagnosis is good. I hope I get this job. I hope these things turn out okay. But I don't know. <laughs> Scriptures say that's not faith. We often think faith. We kind of mash that up and say, yeah, faith is this sort of blind, I think, I hope something will work out okay and there's some higher power up there. No, faith is being sure, dead sure of what we hope for. What is it that we hope for? We hope that God will heal all of this brokenness. We hope that this new heavens and new earth really will come and that it will be a place of forgiveness and acceptance and life. Scriptures say faith is being sure of what we hope for and dead certain even though we can't see it. Now, how do we have that kind of faith? It's Jesus. And his resurrection from the dead. And it says when Jesus came back to life after he was crucified, He came to his disciples 
and he showed them the wounds in his hands. And they remembered, some of them who were courageous enough to stick around at the cross, that there had been nails that had pierced them, that he had bled out, and that this wound in his side, that he had lost his life, he had bled out from the wounds. And they saw them. And the scars were still there, but there was no more bleeding, no more death. But he was alive. And some of them said, well, who weren't there the first time they saw him, they're like, well, unless I see him, unless I can touch his wounds, unless I can, I, I'm not going to believe that it was actually Jesus. Otherwise, it's a ghost or it's someone else who's an imposter. One of his disciples, Thomas. <laughs> and Jesus appeared to him a second time. And he showed them. See, when somebody comes to you with a message of hope, you want to say, well, who are you and how do you know? <laughs> like, this is good news, but who are you? Credibility matters. Right? If Jesus is not only the messenger, but the message himself. How do we know? Jesus says, when we say, who are you? Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I've seen the end from the beginning. And how do you know? Because I passed through death to life. See, because the greatest sense of despair we have in this world is not because it looks broken, but that death always has the final word, Right? Any funeral I'm ever at, we're privileged to sort of be invited into to proceed over. It doesn't matter how long the person has lived or how well the life is. Something in every one of us says this shouldn't be. Something in every one of us knows death should not have the final say. And if death does, it's like it's, it's putting its stamp on a life and saying, you know what, in the end, all that stuff you did didn't matter because death still claimed you. And in a few years, your name will be forgotten. Death is the ultimate reason for our hopelessness. And so the reason we have hope is because Jesus said, I have passed through death to life. That's why the scriptures say this very interesting thing about Jesus. They say that he is the first fruits. And it was a term that meant something to people who were agrarian, right? In the harvest, when the first fruits came up, you knew that all of the sowing and the planting or whatever was good, and it was just the beginning of the harvest to come. Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the scriptures say, isn't just something that happened to Jesus, but he is the first fruits, the first sign that the same thing is going to happen to you and I. He is the reason we have hope. How do we know this is what's going to happen, the new heavens and the new earth, that everything that we would want, actually, the new heavens and the new earth to be? How do we know? Because Jesus says, it is so. I am the beginning and the end. I have passed through death to life. And Jesus is the first fruits. Which means it's going to happen to us. Which means that you and I are actually people who are meant to bring hope to the world. Because you know why? The new heavens and the new earth are not just out there someday, one day. They have already started to happen. Have you ever thought about this? The scriptures say that actually we are in the overlap of the ages. That the one age of death and sin and hell is coming to an end. But the new age, the new creation has already started. It started the resurrection of Jesus. And so we live right now in between, and I've said this to you before, you are living in between Jesus' resurrection and your own. 
See, the hope we have is not just this someday, one day, while we sit here and languish and say, man, the world is so terrible, it's so bad. Saying, no, hope and life has already begun. It is breaking out. And I know that you have experienced it. And I know that you need to experience it. See, the resurrection life of Jesus, the hope of Jesus breaks into a relationship or a marriage that we say, well, that's done. And it gets resurrected from the dead. I have seen it. I have been a part of it in this church. So many of you have invited me into your journey and I have seen resurrection life break into things that you said, this was dead, this was too far gone. And so as people of hope, we say there's no situation, no brokenness too broken that Jesus can't begin to heal it here and now. It won't be finished, but it can start now. See, because the resurrection of Jesus has already begun. The new life. He says, I am making all things new and I can break in. The new life of Jesus breaks in on a body that sometimes is, is filled with pain or sickness and we experience healing. Is it finished? No, not until the new creation. But do we see new life breaking in? Yes, that's why we pray for healing. And many of you have been able to experience that and say, yeah, I've been healed. We experience the new life and the hope of Jesus breaking in when he breaks our addictions. There are many of you I know, if we stood here and had an open mic, we could go all morning and say, Jesus set me free from this. He set me free from this. He set me free from this. I was enslaved by drugs. I was enslaved by pornography. I was enslaved by consumerism. I was enslaved by escaping from my life. And Jesus has healed me. Because new life is breaking in. Is it finished yet? No. One day you get the new body. But for now, we pray, Jesus, make this new. See, to live as people of hope is not just, oh yeah, one day it's going to get better, but the hope has already begun. That's why you and I go out in the world and say, no, there's no darkness too dark that the light can't shine. There's no relationship too far gone that Jesus can't heal. There's no body too filled with pain that Jesus can't break in and heal. It's not going to be completed, but it's already started. Amen? My prayer is that every one of us can give witness, can give testimony to that and say, yeah, that's my story. It's happening now. It's not finished. And one day it will be, and I can't wait for that day. But I'm not just going to sit around and wait for that day. Hope's rising now. It began with the resurrection of Jesus. See, people who are desperate and afraid act and live in fear. But people who have hope act and live with courage. See, you, know, I are, you and I are sent into this world, into this darkness and all the stuff, even the stuff that you're living through right now that's in your family or your workplace or wherever you are. God has sent you into that place and saying, there's no place too far gone that my hope can't come. So you go into that thing, but you don't live with, with desperation and fear and worry. You go into that place with freedom, knowing hope is rising. It's coming. It's not finished, but it's already started. And so I wanted you to, to leave you with, I want to leave you with two things as you come out of this series that we've been in. It's to ask yourself and to ask Jesus. I want to ask yourself, if this is, this is what's mine in Christ, if, if, if as a Christian, this is what I get. Is there a relationship or a situation where I'm actually mostly living and acting out of fear? Like I'm afraid to take risks, or I'm afraid of what's going to happen in this situation, or I'm afraid of the relationship and things that are going on with my kids, or I'm afraid of what's going on in my workplace, or I'm afraid 
in this situation or our finance, or I'm afraid in this health situation that I'm facing? Am I mo- is my posture in this? Where, where am I afraid? And I want you to ask Jesus, show me how you're making this new. Because I believe you are making all things new. It won't be completed, but it's already started. And so ask him, how are you making this new? And Jesus, help me bring hope to this. This is the message that we carry to the world. That God is not dead. And God's not done. This people of hope. That's what we have to offer. And secondly, who in my circle of influence actually needs to hear this good news? You know, we've been going through this series this last six weeks, and, and many of you and I have been talking about, like, why is it so hard to communicate this to the people around us? But it's because, really, there's no space in our culture for conversations of meaning and purpose to come up. We're afraid to ask them. We're told, you know, don't talk about sex, money, or religion with people that are close to you. Well, now we know that Jesus has nothing to do with religion, so we can talk about him. But it's awkward. How do I bring that up? Well, I just want to encourage you, over the summer, as we actually start to get reacquainted with everybody who lives next to us, as it stopped raining and snowing, pray, Jesus, who in my life needs to know this good news? Just start praying for them. And maybe this fall, Alpha will be a place to actually invite them to and say, or maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know where I am in this journey, so maybe you're the one. You're going to pray for yourself and invite yourself to Alpha. You can do that. Say, God, there, there are people. It begins with a burden to say, this news is too good to keep to myself. Remember he said that the, uh, the heart of good news is you celebrate and then you share it with somebody else. See, the most powerful message that you have to bring, the reason Jesus' message has power for us is because he himself had passed through death to life. And I'm convinced that the most powerful thing you have to say to the world around you is that you have passed through death to life as well. Every one of you has a story of pain, of struggle, of hardship. And those are the things that cause us to despair. And yet those are the very pathways that as we walk through, as it says in Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death, and we have the experience of Jesus bringing us hope, that is the message we have to share with the world. So don't despair if life is difficult for you, or you've been through shadows or challenges or you're in it right now and you think, well, I have nothing to say. I feel like this thing might even crush me itself. (laughs) The credibility that you have to a world that needs to hear hope is that you have experienced it yourself. And so God, just bless your church. Even now, hope is something we need to actually live through but also feel And we just pray that you would, in our lives, use even the most difficult, painful, bleak-looking situations to help us see new life breaking in. That this would be the message we have to share with the world that is desperate for hope. We thank you for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. We thank you that it's not finished yet, but it's already begun. And that's why it's always in your name that we pray. Amen. Man, I just want to bless you with two things. Two things that every one of us needs in our lives. I want to bless you with the experience of the Holy Spirit being the runner that is sent to you. 
to declare good news. That you will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, rise up from the ashes of your defeat. That the Spirit would preach the good news of Jesus to your heart. But I want to bless you to be a runner. That you will see, maybe you know them right now, maybe their names, their faces are coming to mind, but if not, that in short order, in a few days, in weeks, you will say, Jesus, you sent me to this person to declare your victory. In your name, I come alive to declare it to them. Would you receive that blessing? Amen. Thank you, God. Thanks for coming.